You're listening to TFM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. just kidding we're not gonna do that the whole time welcome to the 602 (laughs) club and we are gonna have a blast here as we wrap up 2023 uh, discussing aquaman and the lost kingdom which is the last dceu film closing out that very troubled series now um but before we dive into everything thank you so much for tuning in thank you to everybody who listens to us we really appreciate it it means a lot to both christy and i and if Mm -hmm. you are listening uh share us uh you know on social media on x we're at the 602 club on instagram at the 602 club tfm you can find the entire show on facebook at facebook.com slash trek fm with the entire network of course we're also online at trek.fm you can join our listeners only discussion group if you'd like on facebook and talk to listeners from all over the world and you can also go to patreon to make sure that all of these shows keep coming to each and every week over at patreon.com slash trek fm now, Christy, before we got into anything else, um, we do kind of – I got a, a quick announcement for all of the listeners in the sense that um, going into 2024, uh, some of you may know, um, a lot of you may not, but I had lost my job in July, and since that time had been out of a job, um, thankfully, I have a new job that's beginning here in January, and with the change, I will not be working at home anymore. I'll be out of the house at the job, and so for that, we're going to kind of start off the year, and and depending, we don't know how long it'll happen, but we are going to be continuing the 602 Club, so don't worry about that, but it'll be coming at you most likely just one episode a month right now. I've got to figure out my new schedule, figure out how uh, things are going to go. Um, but there are definitely plenty of things that we want to keep talking about. Some great movies coming up here uh, this next year. And so look for those different episodes coming out. And we'll keep you up to date, of course, with what's coming out on social media. So it'll very important to be following us there. But we just wanted to let you know that that's going to be happening and Honestly, I'm just really excited because it has been a very hard year to not have a job for basically six months. So, (laughs) right. When usually if you have severance, it lasts three months. So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, definitely thrilled for you and this new um, journey that you're about to embark on and think that this will only help as well with this new schedule for both of us really, you know, I think that you've got to figure out how things will work. And then also, um, I work in nonprofits, so my hours are not always dependable anyway. Um, so yeah, but we just wanted to give you all a heads up and, uh, definitely still love doing this show together and talking with all of you about it every, um, time that we have an episode out. So hope that you'll stick with us yeah a hundred percent and uh so you know as we go into january you'll be able to look forward to us talking about uh rebel moon uh john uh will be with us that as we kind of have a crossover there with snyder cuts of course because that's coming out and uh then again every month um there are some great movies that are coming out and christy and i have kind of already talked a little bit of what the schedule will look like in those coming months uh, and so we're very excited to be able to do that. Um, with the schedule, of course, we won't be able to talk about everything. Um, but, um, you know, the best part about this is to, you know, sometimes there may be months where maybe one or two or three movies come out that we would have wanted to talk about. But then, of course, there's always been other months here where, you know, nothing's coming out. 
and we're talking about something older. So it, it will still have the chance to be able to talk about uh, a lot of the movies that are new for sure. And, and still we'll see uh, whether or not we're able to, uh, you know, talk about some old classics uh, as, as we move forward. Thankfully, I think we finished most of the series that we had been talking through, uh, which is which is good. That's why we went ahead and wrapped up a lethal weapon for everybody but that's our quick announcement for everyone and we hope you'll just continue to enjoy the show and uh, we're excited to continue to bring it to you so christy uh as we dive into aquaman and the lost kingdom i think many people are aware that to call this a tortured production might be an understatement um you know this movie (laughs) I mean, there were supposed to be spinoffs for the Aquaman series with a film called The Trench. Um, there was going to be more of like a horror movie, kind of lower budget kind of thing. Um, the sequel was supposed to come out in 2022 in December. And then the upheaval happened in, um, at the Warner Brothers studio. And so the film got moved all over the place. Um, honestly, they didn't really know when it was going to come out and, and, and if it was going to be before The Flash. Was it going to be before? It, I mean, like, it was an absolute mess. So that hurt, too, with cameos that they were supposed to have. Was it going to be Affleck? Was it going to be Keaton? And then on top of mm-hmm. all of that, you have um, the the situation that erupted with, you know, Amber Heard. And I... Uh, it i will say this you know watching this movie i think that it clearly does seem to be um we talked about this obviously with lethal weapon 4 but i think this movie it's very clear to see that there was something that had been happening because i i think the movie does in some ways kind of feel all over the place in some senses. And so uh, did you feel that way mm-hmm. watching that with this this production trouble that they had? Yes, I did. Uh, I think that, it, you know, it's funny. I didn't feel that way as much about Lethal Weapon 4. Um, sure. But I, I mean, I didn't the, either. Me, I, I think we were the right. ones who felt like that. And then John was on the opposite side. So, <laughs> right. But what John said, I feel like is relevant here, uh, where he specifically mentioned it's like a blender a bunch of stuff was thrown together to see if it would work. Um, And here I think you can tell that there are a lot of different plot points thrown together that don't necessarily all make sense or um, the way that they're thrown together doesn't necessarily tie well within each other. Um, So I think you can tell that there was a lot of turmoil in making this. Um, and I I was kind of upset, honestly, that Amber Heard's role was still as big as it was, because in the previews, there's no real mention or showing mm-hmm. of her. Yeah. And also during the trial mm-hmm. in which they did determine that she at least defamed Johnny Depp, um, but I think also proved that she abused him, um, he was completely cut from future fantastic beasts movies right and yet she was still kept on as mira in this one but we were led to believe Mm -hmm. by the studio that she was barely in the Mm -hmm. movie so that i had a problem with too you know i think this is a place where i i i i think i'm on the opposite side in the sense that i you know, regardless of what happened between them, um, I think I'm just, I was glad that she was still in the movie and that they didn't, because I think the thing is this, I keep thinking to myself, there were plenty of times in this film where her character is important, right? And um, without her there, you know, certain things can't happen. You know, she literally comes in to kind of help save Arthur a couple of times in the same way she did in the first movie. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's really an, an important in this film as well. Um, and, and I think part of that is, you know, you do a great job of juxtaposing uh, Arthur's kind of like 
uh, dude bro status with, you know, his his willing his understanding that he does need other people, you know, to help him uh, and those kind of things. Mm-hmm. And so I was I was glad that they didn't just cut her because on top of what you were talking about, where it kind of felt as though, you know, there are some main thread points and, and plot points throughout the movie where it felt like they were trying to kind of pull a few different story ideas together and make them cohesive man i feel like if you would also just cut her out too um it would have been difficult and you know if you weren't going to to bench or uh you know if you're gonna let the flash movie come out um yeah uh, you know i i'm i look I I don't want to get into who did what and all that kind of stuff because I, you know, look, none of us are a part of that. Um, and so mm-hmm. I just want what's to be done is what's best for this movie specifically because, I, you know, I think the reason I'm saying all that is I enjoyed very much the original Aquaman, you know, and mm-hmm. um, I was really excited that this movie was coming out. I I looked forward to a second one mm-hmm. and it i i also enjoyed you know i i liked her in the first movie you know i liked that and i love mm-hmm. the i mean i've read the comics too so and i love the character of mara and yeah i just i feel like if they had also recast her it would just be one mm-hmm. more thing that this movie had to struggle with and so I was glad that they didn't mm-hmm. recast her because I just felt like it would have taken away even more from the film itself. Um, and you would have just, as an audience member, I feel like you would have been pulled out maybe even more. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes sense, but I just, I, that's kind yeah. of where I came down with that. It was like, and, and you know, I, they also... You know, she's not a major part of the movie either, though. I mean, she's in the movie, but she's not a major part right. of the film. Yeah. Um, and I guess where I land is I, I think they could have worked around it or reduced it even more and it would have still yeah, worked. Can, but yeah. that doesn't necessarily work for you. And yeah, I and yeah, I understand yeah, your reason. Yeah. Well, and I get your uh, and I don't want to I'm not defending Amber Heard or I, don't, I just honestly don't care yeah. right? no i get what you mean but no i and I i've understand read some of the comics mean. too and mira's a great character yeah. so yes yeah no she is a fantastic character in her own right i mean if anybody if anyone's read the comics you know i just really a great great character and one that i would love to see done again sometime uh, and she mm-hmm. she really and, and of course she has an incredible power set too which is really cool uh, and so, yeah, no, I, it's just, it's so frustrating too, because when I think about this troubled production, like all we heard about too, is all the, the back and forth with the reshoots and, oh, was it going to be Affleck as Batman in the cameo or were they going to put Keaton in? Because that's the way they're, and it's like everything about this troubled production was not about this movie and it wasn't about the main character aquaman and in right and, and i think that's kind of the thing that really you know hurt this and then i on top of that trouble they needed to rein it in yes sorry go ahead no no thank you for saying it you're absolutely right but then on top of that the the troubled production overarching that trouble production was the fact that of course like all of these dc movies is was announced that there was already going to be a reboot coming and so in many ways, it made it difficult for these movies to matter in people's minds, you know, and, and obviously mm-hmm. they've all struggled immensely at the box office. Um, you know, uh, Aqu- Aquaman has had a terrible time at the box office. I mean, it was a the first one was a billion dollar film, only DC movie that's ever made that much money. Um, and, you know, this one is really struggling out the gate and, and just like all of them have, um, that have come out this year. And so it's just, it felt like everything has been stacked against this movie. And so much of it has nothing, 
has nothing to do with really the movie itself. And that's always sad to see. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, and that's something specifically you and I have talked about before, where some of the best movies are where there is much more of a defined focus on a few important characters and a very well-defined story mm-hmm. than trying to go bigger and bigger in scope um, and doing tons of tie-ins or cameos or whatever. Um, take Passengers, for example. The scope was small, even though it took place in space, and it was mainly two characters, you know? So, um, But it ended up being a fantastic movie, and I think here that's their biggest problem that we're you know getting at is that they were trying to do too many other things that weren't the core story Mm -hmm. yeah well it's interesting too just just to kind of kind of bring this part of the discussion to a close because we could probably go on this forever but you know this movie (laughs) in the five days that it's been open worldwide has made 126 million dollars uh which you know not great but when I when you look at the Marvels made two hundred and five million dollars worldwide, you know a little a little bit over that. Um, that was in as a pretty much his entire run. So you know, uh, Aquaman is being helped by the fact that its international box office doing is doing great, um, and so, mm-hmm. but it's still gonna you know, end up terribly when it comes to when you see what is done done previously, uh, especially with. Yeah. Um, so it costs them about 215 million and currently is only made. <laughs> yeah. Which, you know, is terrible. So, you know, I think yeah. um, it, it's frustrating. So I, so to, to kind of leave all that aside, you know, the, the movie here is really centered around when we think of the story it's uh black manta's revenge and mm-hmm. the story centers around the the fact that black manta has is trying to find a way to get back at arthur uh for you know killing his father and destroying his life in that way and so he finds a black trident horcrux which connects him to the uh, lost king Kordax of the kingdom of Necris, another lost kingdom. Um, and that kingdom in the past had almost destroyed the world through the use of orichalcum, which is a substance that emits high quantities of greenhouse gases. And so it causes you know high planetary temperatures extreme weather conditions the ocean is affected um and it nearly caused the extinction of an the ancient atlantean kingdom and so his goal is to use this damn the consequences to the earth so that he can get revenge on aquaman oh oh and i almost forgot he's willing to kill aquaman's son to do it as well or at least take his son captive and use his blood so i i wanted to ask you how you kind of felt like this does as the kind of basis for what happens in the movie well certainly this was the biggest driver for me of wanting to see this movie because i've always thought since the comics that manta was such a cool character and costume um, and then he's clearly got a bone to pick, which gives you great motivation to see where they go with it. Um, I think that overall the tie to Necris is really interesting. I just think the execution wasn't as great as I wanted it to be. Um, cause if also, if you're familiar with D and D or anything like that, um, that ties to like necromancy, which means like the sure. undead. Yep. So it's a fitting name. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that it didn't make sense really that he would be the one to bring about the rise of Kordax because he's not thinking of the consequences at all. You know what I mean? It's like if it was just revenge, he would still want to live on even though Aquaman and all that he holds dear would be dead. He doesn't seem to want to die himself. 
Right. So it's like there's just this blind spot mm-hmm. where it's like we're just not we're not talking about the the consequences after that. Right. <laughs> Ignore behind the curtain. Yeah. Pay no <laughs> attention to the consequences behind the curtain. Um, right. No, I I I really agree with you there. And I, I think that's such a great breakdown of the problem of of the thrust of this film. Which is Black Manta wanting revenge on Aquaman makes complete sense. Black Manta right. taking Aquaman's son is a is a storyline for the comics. The idea that he's also willing to destroy the Earth to get back at Aquaman seems to make zero sense because he has to live on this planet too. So if you destroy the planet, what are you going to do? It's just a suicide yeah, mission. I don't it, it it's one of those things to which, you know, the best villains are ones where you can if you were to put them yourself in their shoes, you can kind of see their rationalization, right? You could see how they can think of themselves as the hero of their story. Mm-hmm. And yet this one, I, I I think it's incredibly difficult to find any sympathy for Black Manta as a character. Yes, Aquaman killing his father is kind of a jerk move, right? Allowing his father to die in that first movie. Mm-hmm. And it's something that we kind of see, you know, Arthur have to deal with in that film and kind of overcome and learn to do better, right? But when you're weighing the scales of what Arthur did and what Black Manta is trying to do here, it it just doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, and, you know, I guess... So... One one thought, though, as I am thinking this through and we're talking about it, is it that the and maybe this ameliorates some of it for for me and maybe it will for you. But is it just that they don't do a good enough job of showing how insane the impact that this black trident horcrux is having on him so that it's making him irrational to the point that he would do these things um, because he doesn't really have full control of himself? Is it is it just that we're we're not getting enough of that that it it doesn't so it it helps you understand, oh yeah, this this guy is is crazy. Um and it, he's crazy because he's basically, you know, been taken hostage by an evil force. So it's partly that. Um, but also for me, it's just that I think you needed one of those stories or the other, or maybe, um, what you could have done, for example, is not even have Cordax be alive anymore. Mm -hmm. It's just that whoever picks up the trident becomes him. It's like the, just the trident is possessed rather than it also brings back Cordax. You know what I mean? It felt like too many characters. Mm. for me mm-hmm. as well as not really selling enough that he's gone this crazy yeah i i, I think i think in some ways i just think we're both right on this one it's it's like there's something missing mm-hmm. and yeah. i think uh and i think there are a few different ways you could have uh fixed the problem and it comes down to the script writing you know in the story writing and i think that's one of the places too as we kind of mentioned with the production problems this is kind of where that comes from right the the frustrations that we're talking about feeling have to do with these big story elements where Mm -hmm. there just doesn't seem to be enough nuance to sell what they're trying to get across in the story and that's kind of frustrating because i agree with you the opportunity to have um 
Black Manta be the the villain here, I think is pretty awesome. I mean, uh, and and you know, the first movie obviously set that up, right? That that Manta was going to want revenge. And I almost mm-hmm. feel as though like you said, you could have chosen one or the other, but to me it almost feels as though uh Black Manta just stealing Aquaman's son you know, is an almost enough, you know, just to make this a very personal story, to make this a very small story in that sense, right? And I think in many ways you just kind of lose something because it does feel like there's too many different story ideas coming together. And, you know, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think that was, that was interesting. And, And then on the other side, one of the things that the movie is is also about is the difficulty that Arthur has. You know, he he realizes in this movie that ruling is hard, right? Um it it's uh it's a lot easier to win a kingdom than it is to rule a kingdom and he just mm-hmm. kind of hates being king because he can't do what he wants to to anymore. Um he has to be beholden to his council and his allies and you know, the the movie is is summed up in the whole idea of, you know, a good a true king builds bridges. Um and I think that kind of works with the way that Orem and Arthur build a bridge together. You know, I think that was the best part of that theme and what Arthur learns. But I I was really struggling with this because I didn't feel like the movie necessarily did a great job in doing that with Arthur as in respect to the other kingdoms per se you have the kingdom of Zebel uh, and then you have uh, the Brine King returning with uh, John Reese Davies of course and so you have these two kingdoms and it, it was just really interesting because it you it almost feels like the, the whole point of this would would be to bring together all of the kingdoms that we saw in in the first film and yeah, I just it it didn't really feel like they did a good job of fulfilling this whole theme um because you know when he shows up then at the at the UN in the end instead of necessarily I feel like being a good leader and having gotten people to understand his point of view, he just unilaterally makes the decision to say, yeah, we're revealing ourselves to the world. Um and I I was really frustrated about that. I just I felt like they just didn't necessarily do a, a good job of building what you needed there, um, which was a little mm-hmm. bit annoying to me uh, because I think Arthur doesn't really necessarily grow as a character in the way that you would hope that he would in this film. I mean, he still just feels too much like a... I hate to say it like a like a dude bro um and <laughs> and somebody who just doesn't seem to care about what it actually means to be a true king which is to find ways to bring people together who don't necessarily want to come together mhm yeah I, I would agree with a lot of what you said um i think there's a couple of different issues with Arthur as a character here. I mean, for one, I will say you can tell that there is more of Jason Momoa as a person present in the character in this movie than there was in the first movie. Um, I think that because he helped with development of the screenplay some this time as well, he had more free reign. Um, and there's parts where I really love it and I see that coming through, like the scene where he knocks down the statue to b- build a bridge. That was classic, something Jason Momoa himself would do if he could, you know, um, and I thought it fit. But I do agree that specifically in the scene, for example, where he is speaking to the representatives of all the kingdoms and then again with Orm one on one talking about ruling they could have written the character to be more respectful mm-hmm. um, or at least that he's learning that and not just be so dismissive of, well, that's just not who I am. 
And I think that he kind of gets there by the end. You know, I really like that speech that Orm gives him where he's like, you know, I, I can tell that you're not afraid to ask for help and that you care about other people and you're willing to do the right thing when the wrong thing is easier. Um, but I still think that it could have gone better mm-hmm. for Arthur as a whole yeah. if some tweaks had been made. I 100% agree with you. Um, I think that your call out of the fact that this feels uh, much too much like Jason Momoa is 100% correct. Uh, I think that's really actually the 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 biggest problem, I think, that I have with the, the story. And I think the the reason I say that, too, is that this is also something that a lot of uh, characters kind of run into because the same thing has happened in Star Trek with like Star Trek Picard, where I think some of the ideas that Patrick Stewart had for his character, it went to show to me that actors don't necessarily always understand their character the way they think they do. And I think mm-hmm. that there needed to be more growth for the character of Arthur in his understanding of who he is as a person and what it means to be king than we get in this film. Um, And I think a big reason that we don't get that is because... Jason Momoa is too much Jason Momoa in this movie and not enough of actually being the character of Arthur. And, yeah. you know, the, the the character of Aquaman in the, in the comics is a great character. And again, I also, I like this character. I like Jason Momoa as Aquaman. I, th- I think it was a really bold choice for... Snyder to cast him. Uh, I think he helps change the character in really great ways. But I also think mm-hmm. that that you need to make sure that you're you're not just being yourself and you're being um, true to who the character actually is. And 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 I think you know that's just one of the things that happens, right? Uh, and so um, and it can happen, and I think it's what happens here. Um, so mm-hmm. you know. You you mentioned something uh, on our outline that I thought was really interesting because – and this ties into uh, the story that we get with the way in which Manta will not accept help from Aquaman in the end. He would rather die hating Aquaman than live. Uh, and then you also, of course, end up with um, – you know the the way in which the trident is able to almost convince Orm to kill Arthur so that he can have the throne. And mm-hmm. th- this way in which that, you know, hate ultimately destroys, you know, uh, yourself and everyone around you. And I, I thought that that was a, a great point that you made or outline and, and it is a good thing to, I think, show in this film because it's actually really sad that we we live in a world where um, I think too many people are willing to embrace hate and they're willing to die for it um, and destroy themselves and others in the process. Um, and that's mm-hmm. that's so, so, so sad to see. And it seems like such a simple concept, right? And yet it's something that we still encounter all the time, unfortunately, um, because it takes a change of heart and a willingness to admit that you were wrong and could learn a new way of behaving. Um, But that was one theme that I thought was done well in this movie, in both of those instances, showing that um, hating... um, only or or acting out of vengeance, you know, and and selfish methods only causes more destruction. And it's only by changing your behavior and being willing to ask or accept help 
that we're able to move forward in a better direction. And Manta could have still accepted Aquaman's help, but that would also have meant that he would have to forgive Aquaman. And he couldn't do that. And it makes sense for the character, but it's also incredibly sad that he's willing to go to that length to die and not try to mend anything at all or, or have any forgiveness mm-hmm. in his heart. Um, And for Orm, thankfully, you know, as a mirror to that, being able to be drawn back into himself by Aquaman reminding him that he still loves him. Um, and that scene specifically made me think of the Martin Luther King quote that it, I use it every year because it's so relevant is darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. And I immediately thought of that when Aquaman said, we're, we're always going to be brothers. And that that was the original undoing of Cordax and King Atlan because they didn't remember that they were still brothers. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Um, I, I think it also goes to show that, you know, hate also leads you to become irrational. It leads you to want to do things that mm-hmm. don't make sense, you know, and hurt yourself in the process as we were talking about the whole idea of, you know, Black Manta's revenge, right? And what it drives him to do. And it connects with this insanity of of uh cordax you know that because of this you know this black trident driving you him to terrible things um and 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 mainly because you know that black trident became uh again and really in many ways that the the horcrux of evil that he was holding on to and um and so no i i think that's a great point and it's one of the it's a good part of this story um and it's it's one of those things as we're talking about you know the whole idea of of the story for black manta and everything i think it's one of those places where this could have been even more pronounced and even done in a better way to really bring this home and and that would have been great because it's such a great theme and it fits Mm -hmm. kind of the story for these characters right um and so yeah. But just wasn't the focus. Exactly. One of the things, I, I don't know why. So the first movie felt really big to me, like, you know, expansive in the sense of we're going to all these different places, you know, you're going underwater, everything kind of felt like, uh, you know, the fact that our planet is covered by two thirds water, right? I thought the first movie did a great job of just kind of opening that expanse up to us and making us feel like we're really mm-hmm. a part of it. And and I was really struck by how this movie seemed to feel very small, but not necessarily in a small storyline way we're talking about where you want it to be more intimate between the two characters. It just felt kind of small. It didn't really have the grandeur feel that I felt in the previous film. There are very few people in this movie. Which is interesting, you know, I mean, when you actually start counting on your fingers how many people you see in this film, it there's not very many. Um, you know, you see some big scenes of, of uh, uh, Atlantis itself, but on a whole, just, I don't know, everything about the film just felt smaller and and in a way that almost felt... I don't know, not claustrophobic isn't the right word, but there's something felt off about it. Mm-hmm. No, I I would agree with that. I think part of it is that in the first film, you were shown a lot more locations beneath the surface. Whereas here, it was really only three or four places you kind of visit. Um beneath the surface. I mean, you go to Necris, Atlantis, and um, I think one other place. Um, and each time, I didn't really love that they just said somewhere in the Atlantic mm-hmm. and somewhere in the South Pacific. Yeah. I think they should have been a lot more specific <laughs> about the locations. Um, 
And I think that there should have been more exploration of the underwater kingdoms again, um, especially since he was partnering with two leaders from two other kingdoms. I mean, I'm curious about the crab guy's kingdom, <laughs> you know, um, I think he was a little overdone, but um, an interesting addition to the team and that you don't really ever see anyone else from his species or his kingdom. Yes. Um, yes. Whereas in the first movie, we really did see those things. And so that's the thing I, I find myself right. very struck by. Uh, and or even him teaming up with the other creatures, ex- you know, yes. we just have that brief moment where they come up against the uh, the sound cannon that he gathers all of the sea creatures together to help with the sonar. But otherwise, I feel like he did that a lot more in the first movie. And and on top of that, too, like we do we do go to some new places, right? We do go to see where Orm is in prison, which is, you know, mm-hmm. in this very, you know, interesting uh, desert set. So similar to the place that we kind of visited in the first film, right? Uh, when we were searching for mm-hmm. uh, the Lost Kingdom, the other other Lost Kingdom. Uh, we also visit Necris, right? Uh, and so we've see, we see that. And we do go to, um, you know, the Pirate Cove. I cannot remember the name of it, um, but, you know, we, we see that oh, as yeah. well. But in that, still, everything... The Sunken City. The Sunken City. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Every just... I don't know. There's just something about the film that just seemed... I, the only word I can come up with, in all honesty, and it's not a great... It's not the best that that I've got, but it just it feels a little bit claustrophobic. Um, and it's strange mm-hmm. to me that the, the movie just feels so at a loss in that way. Um, and I really wish we had found a way to to just capture some of that grandeur. And this might be it, too. Mm-hmm. Where we go in the desert, I feel like we'd already seen that before in the first movie, right? Mm-hmm. But it also feels so similar to everything that we see in, in Necris, right? And maybe it's because they're all ancient kingdoms. Did they all look the same then? I don't know. But I don't know. It just feels like it's lacking. Like every place that we went in the in the first film kind of had its own feel. And mm-hmm. this one lacks that. I think that might be what I'm struggling with. That's a good point because it's like they're both being guarded by the undead. These are on land versus the others are underwater. Um, but that that is a good point. They are exactly the same in that sense. Um, and I think they could have actually had people from the fisherman kingdom there guarding it and just had special suits. They've done that before. <laughs> Not with those people, but you get what I mean. Like in the first movie, they had, uh, you know, Atlanteans have special suits so that they can walk on land. So... I think that's an easy fix so that you don't have that tie of similarity between Necris and the desert prison that just feels so boring. Um, I thought the creatures were interesting that they rode on, but otherwise, mm-hmm. yeah, they're very similar in that sense. Yeah. And, um, and I mean, you do end up with like, you know, you've got, uh, you know, the his octopus that he's with, uh, and um, I think it's Topo, Topo, you know, which is a character from the comics. You have Storm, uh, you know, the uh, massive seahorse, uh, which is always fun. Mm-hmm. Again, another callback to the comics. Um, but yeah, I just felt like that again. There's just there was something just kind of missing, which I guess leads me to ask you about just kind of the action of this film before we get to that. There was one thing that I wanted to bring up because I think we have to, since you mentioned the sunken city. Did you not just feel like that was straight out of Return of the Jedi? That the leader of the sunken city is like Jabba the Hutt and he's got the, you know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. dancers around him and... um Oh, gosh, what was the other one? Oh, that the singer with the band oh, yeah. feels oh, like yeah. the Max Rebo band. Yes, like, yeah. 
I was just going, they're ripping off Star Wars left and right. What's happening? Yeah, you know, and I, like, that's not, I don't hate that they're doing that, right? Because uh, it's always fun to to have those uh, illusions and, and, you know, kind of loving homages to films that you love. But yes, I, I do agree with you. It, I, I think. I thought it was a little too much. I, I think, yeah, what it comes to is that it feels a little on the nose. And instead right. of really creative you know right make it its own thing i agree i agree yeah so yeah but it was funny what did you end up thinking of you know the action of the film you know there's a lot of action set pieces you know you have a lot of big fights you know especially uh there at uh black manna's hideout you've also got what happens at necris and all of that you know does it does it work for you or or did you feel like "Eh, it's fine well, the, the latter. Um, I felt like it was fine, um, but nothing really impressive with the action. Um, I thought that especially at Necris, it was kind of forgettable. Other than the scene where I thought that they were going to actually have Manta kill a baby, which mm-hmm. would be horrible. Um, and so not something for a movie that's not rated R. <laughs> um but otherwise, I think that the best fight scene was actually um, more in the middle of the movie. The first time that um, Aquaman runs into Manta when they're trying to break out with the Orichalcum. Mm-hmm. Um, and even that wasn't amazing. Um, and And maybe, too, this could be the reason. I'm curious to see what you think. I think that a lot of times in the underwater scenes as well, it was almost like the cinematography choices were to sweep past things and not do a lot of focus on one scene for too long. Mm. I felt like it was just kind of rushed through Mm -hmm. timing wise Mm. in the underwater scenes. Did you feel that way? Yeah, that's like that's an interesting thought. You know, I hadn't I hadn't thought of that per se. Okay. Um, but I I I can see exactly what you're saying, and I think that when I'm thinking of the action sequences, like the one in the at the at the beginning of the film where Manta's trying to steal the Orichalcum, I think that's kind of interesting. Um, I do think that the all of them, I I. I I guess I come down kind of where you are in the sense like it's fine, but I don't think anything really blows my mind the way that I would kind of want it to be blown in the sense of especially with um, these, you know, the first film, I think it really did that, right? I think it really brought to life uh, the underwater sequences. It felt, you know, very new and fresh and and interesting and, and kind of exciting uh, in all of those ways, you know, that you would want, right? Um, where you're, mm-hmm. you know, one of the things about the Aquaman movie, I think in the general, was the fact that it was one of those first movies that really gave us, um, and this is, of course, you know, before you had Avatar The Way of Water, you know, so you, so you, this was the first movie to really give us underwater like this, you know, and to and, and to really try and, and make you feel like you were in um, a real underwater film. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, to me, that's one of the things I love the most about it. I thought they did a great job of that. Um, and they really brought that to life. And the action was really cool and interesting and, and all of that. And I think one of the things that um, I think frustrates me uh, about – uh, this movie is that it just it just lacked what I thought the f- first movie did really well, uh, which was it felt kind of fresh and new and interesting and exciting. And this movie just kind of doesn't feel like that. And so mm-hmm. um, that's the that's the place that I really come down to with it, which is is frustrating. And I guess it also leads me to kind of ask the question from you, um, which is how how do you feel about the effects in this film? Because obviously that's a huge part of this movie in general. 
the effects of this movie are everything, right? Because you are building this whole underwater sequence and and you're bringing it to life. Uh, and if if you're not if you don't do that well, um, then you have an issue, right? And so I guess one of my big questions then for you is how do you think that they do in that? Do you think that they do it well? Or is this something to where you just kind of uh, are watching this and you're like, oh my gosh, I just really feel like they've kind of phoned it in. Because you, put it this way, you need the effects in this movie to work. Because if they don't, you're in real trouble. Yeah, because I mean, the only way within budget at all that you can make an underwater world is by effect work. I mean, they can't build that set or anything and they can't have people act underwater. So clearly that's something that has to be a lot of effects. And I think that there are some parts where it's good, but a lot of parts where it's inconsistent. Um, I think specifically, like I said kind of earlier, where it feels that they're even trying to rush through some scenes that are set underwater as if they don't want to focus too much on the effects and whether or not they'll be good. Mm-hmm. They just need it as a placeholder. Almost. And so that didn't impress me. Um, and I think that specifically with things like Cordax, it seemed that... I don't know if they didn't want to take the time to make it look better. But I do think that he comes across looking not as rendered, I guess I would say, as you would like. Detailed. I don't know if you felt the same way, but there's definitely some inconsistency and it wasn't impressive. I I mean, I honestly couldn't agree with you more. Um, I think you're 100% right in that. I don't I, I just don't think the effects work very well here. Um, and it's 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 kind of frustrating uh, that that's the case. It feels like they did not do a great job of, of building this out. Uh, and um, unfortunately, it feels like it, what happened is that there were places where they kind of just ran out of time. Uh, and I think part of that is probably uh, because they probably did run out of time with everything that they were dealing with um, in the the production problems that they have. I think mm-hmm. that you you truly just ran into this this issue where uh the movie is unfinished um and the effects Mm -hmm. themselves kind of feel a little bit unfinished uh and i think that that's frustrating that that you're gonna that you run into that i think it would have been great if the movie had been able to feel completed yeah one of the this Mm -hmm. is this is one of the things you know the first movie I think is so well done in the way that they bring it to life and its effects. I think that's one of the hallmarks of that film. I thought, I think they did a fantastic job of, of, of bringing to life the underwater world. It's one of the things I loved most about it. And I think the, the frustrating thing about this is, and what I feel about this film is, is that they, they were not able to do that. They were not able to create the consistency in the effects to make you feel as you, as if you were, a, you know, truly um, in an underwater sequence uh, most of the time. That you were truly uh, feeling kind of connected to what's happening in the action. And um, I also think the the problem is, and, and we've talked about this so many times, right? It's consistency. The consistency is the issue. Um, you actually. It's not so much that the effects aren't perfect, which, you know, when you're doing this in the first place, it's always going to be difficult to try and and bring to life this type of sequence, this type of film. You're you're asking from effects an incredibly difficult job. And, And unless, you know, you're James Cameron and you're spending five years making this film and you know exactly what you're doing and you're not running into script changes and all that kind of stuff you're not going to you're not going to have it and i think that this movie just in, suffers incredibly from 
them not knowing what they're going to do so much of the movie and then running into the problem of then not having enough time to truly give you what you deserve effects wise. And, you know, I, mm-hmm. that's that's too bad uh, because I, I think, unfortunately, uh, yeah, it's just too bad, you know, <laughs> like I don't know what else to say. It takes a toll. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. And for a movie that's mostly effects, you have to have good effects. <laughs> I was about to say the exact, it's like you read my mind. Uh, it's like you're Aquaman and you just like, vroom, 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 vroom. You get uh, uh, like our thoughts just connected. No, 100%. You, I could not have said it better. So, well, well I mean, phenomenal on that. Um, I did want to ask you about this. You know, obviously we have the same uh, composer uh, here for the film. And uh, so he did the score and then we've got some needle drops throughout the the, the movie and... Uh, what did you end up thinking uh, of the music here for the the film? The music here reminded me of the music choices for the first Suicide Squad movie. Okay. It was, it felt very on the nose and um, just uninspired. I think that um, overall the the score wasn't bad, but it was just kind of blah um i don't have any memorable themes to take away and then especially the couple of popular songs that were inserted that was where i really had and the problem also was that adding those in they're used in so many movies i mean spirit in the sky come on it was in remember the titans it was in this and that and the other i mean it just feels like they took the most obvious popular songs and inserted them in it felt lazy Mm. Mm. i guess ultimately is where i come down with the the music which sucks because it's not like this is a bad composer i just don't know what the thought process was that we ended up here Mm -hmm. you know i i think that you've done a really again i i it's like we're on the complete safe wavelength on this. Um, <laughs> I, I I think that, that the problem for me was really the uh, the choices in the, the the needle drops. I think you rightly pointed out that it does feel um, it just too on the nose, too easy, like too much of what I've seen before. Right, uh, and, and that mm-hmm. that's kind of frustrating. I wonder. Uh, yeah, I. Because, too, like, you could have picked something that was more mm-hmm. unique to who Aquaman is. Right. Yeah. I mean, because I think about, for example, with Thor, mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. they were able to get special permission from Led Zeppelin to right. use that song for him striking the lightning. It was awesome. And I will always remember yeah. that. But here you point. could have done that. And they just picked bland, generic stuff. I, I mean... A great, great pull there. Obviously, I don't even like the Thor movies, especially, uh, you know, Ragnarok. But yes, the use of that song was fantastic, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it was a great choice. And it was a choice that uh, is something that's not been used a million times. So 100%, you've, you've rightly pulled out a great example from comic book films, right? Um, I think, obviously, you know, the Guardians of the Galaxy films are a perfect example of using lots of types of music that, uh, you know, uh, people are like, you know, it, it, it might not have been like your first choice, you know, but James Gunn's very good at picking f- music. And I think... Mm-hmm. Here, what they do in this film um, is just not necessarily what you want. Um, you want something that's a little bit less obvious. And um, mm-hmm. I think the the other – I liked you pulling out the Thor reference too because I think the other thing that this does is that you want something that not only f- – that feels like Arthur but feels, as you were kind of pinpointing, specific to Arthur. Right. You know, Mm -hmm. that 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 makes you when you think of that song, you're going to think of Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom and the character of Mm -hmm. Arthur. You're not going to think of all of the times you've heard that a million times. 
Right. And I think that's the the big difference. And so, mm-hmm. yeah. Wow. Well, oh, goodness, Christy, you just killed it. You just killed it. <laughs> like, seriously, I it's oh, like you, you pulled the thoughts out of my, my brain and said them better than I could have. So, uh, yeah. Can I ask you one last question that I'm really mm-hmm. interested in? Um I, I mentioned before, right, that this is this is the end of the DCEU. Uh, all of this started with Man of Steel um, back in the day. And how do you feel about that? You know, now that this is over, um, are, are you sad? Are you frustrated? Was this any kind of good end? Or does it just feel like it just ended with a whimper and it wasn't even connected? <laughs> well, I mean, you said it, not me. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, I've been kind of bummed because, obviously, when Man of Steel came out, um, I think you and I have talked about that at some point on air. Maybe not that specific movie, but just how much we enjoyed it. And, um, and Wonder Woman, for example, um, was also just so impressive. But then I felt that it's been inconsistent quality across the films as a whole to really blow me away. Um, So I'm hopeful that maybe we'll get some better things coming, Um, but definitely want to wanted to call out those that I love that have been part of the DCEU. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's not ending on a great note. Did you feel the same? Yeah, I mean, I, again, couldn't have said it better. I think you're 100% right. It's not ending on a great note. Um, I think that and it's sad to, to see that be the case, um, that we're we're ending this franchise that they had started. And it's just, it is ending with such a whimper. Um, and it's so sad that that's the case. Um, you know, we could... Yeah, I don't want to relitigate, you know, everything that happened with this whole series in general. Um, And I think the total disservice that Warner Brothers did in the end to all fans by um, just not allowing this to run its course in the way that it started. Um, I think that um, I think it, it to me, the DCEU. In the end, it's one of its greatest legacies is showing just how little studio executives sometimes understand art. Uh, They don't care about it. Um, They don't because if you had if you had not tried to just be what the MCU was and allowed this to be what it was, um, I think it would have just been so much better. You know, um, and I mm-hmm. think it would have been a benefit to comic book films in general to not have everything try to be the same thing. I think that's the biggest frustration. Right. You, know, the, uh, you, you Marvel was doing its thing. Do your DC thing, you know, um, and be different so that it gave people a choice, you know. And so, uh, yeah, I think it's sad that that is the case. And I think it's sad that this movie um, kind of end something to which, you know, I, I, we were both fans of, you know, um, we both enjoyed, um, those movies, uh, especially things like Man of Steel and, you know, I, Zack Snyder's Justice League is fantastic. Wonder Woman's great. I enjoyed the first Aquaman. Of course, I love Batman mm-hmm. v Superman, uh, and especially the, ex- the extended cut, uh, the ultimate edition, which is the 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 only true version of that movie anyway to me um and yeah so ending this the way it does is, is sad but christy i guess that brings us down to the question of you know what are you going to rate aquaman and the lost kingdom well i do want to it, even in spite of the things that we've come up with is with our criticisms want to give it its points where they're due I do think that there are moments that work, like we mentioned with the um, the Martin Luther King quote about um, hate and love and um, selfishness, those themes being present in several of the characters, and then seeing how everything would end up with Manta. But 
I think ultimately there are some big pieces that were bypassed in favor of adding more characters and um, making the scope too big to then focus on the mm-hmm. core yeah. parts that made the story great. Yeah. Um, I think there was also too much focus on the scientist, Dr. Shin, and not enough focus on Manta. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, we didn't even talk about him, but I think it just goes to show, like, he just not really an important character, in all honesty. Yeah, and I love the actor. It's just that, why is he so much of the focus? He's not a core character. <laughs> so I, I think really, ultimately, for this movie, I come down... A little over the middle. So I, I give it a three out of five black tridents mm-hmm. because yeah. there was a lot here that could have been better and would have really narrowed the focus in a good way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But made the world more expansive and interesting without going mm-hmm. off down all these other yeah. rabbit holes. Yeah. Could could not agree with that more. I mean, and and we're at the same place with our ratings too. I, I'm I'm a three as well. Um, I'm going to be interested to rewatch this again just to see um, how I feel about it. You know, do I feel mm-hmm. that um, it sticks at a three? I, I could I could see this maybe possibly going down, but I'm not sure. Um, you know, so mm-hmm. I, I I'm going to give it a, a chance to again. Um, we'll see what happens. Uh, but yeah, a three, um, and it's, it's not terrible. You know, I, I think for mm-hmm. myself, I'd, I'd probably watch this over, uh, the flash. I would definitely, definitely watch this over, uh, Shazam theory of the gods. Honestly, um, part of that is because mm-hmm. I enjoy the characters in the film. I, I, for all that I said, you know, I enjoy Momoa. Um, and I, if there's anything like yeah. I, I you know, I, I was actually, you know, we talked about Amber Heard, but I just missed, I, I wanted even more of I, Nicole Kidman, right? Like, she's so good. Yeah. Um, and, and I love her. I honestly love her in this role. I would have loved to have seen, you know, even more of her. Uh, and mm-hmm. so, yeah, I, uh, it's, it is kind of frustrating that, that this is the place that we end this and yeah. And, and I wanted this to be better because I, Absolutely, you know, I love the first Aquaman, but this is where we ended up mm-hmm. with. And yeah, I hope everybody, I'd love to hear what people thought of this, you know, so please reach out to us, you know, over on social media or on Facebook. Uh, and uh, Christy, if people wanted to catch up with you and uh, see, you know, what else you've got going on or talk to you about this or anything else, where would they find you? You can find me on Letterboxd, Instagram and X at Bespin Bell. And then if you'd like to look at my finished podcast I did with my friends Amanda and Teresa called Sabres and Spells, that is over on the Skywalking Through Neverland Network. And what about you? Uh, I'm all over social media under the name Matt Rushing 2 You can also find me here on the network outside of the 602 Club with the Orb, Warp 5, the Artificial Tango, Saddle Up, and Literary Treks. You'll also find me doing two shows over on the nerd party network one is called owl post with drea kaufman about every single chapter of the harry potter series one chapter at a time and then you'll find me on aggressive negotiations with john mills as we talk about star wars each and every week but as always thank you so much for joining us and y'all come back now you hear. here